0: Winners and losers. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, naked a man came from his mother's womb, and in the same way he will return. He can take nothing with him that he can carry in his hand. And so, the wealthy, greedy man stored up all this wealth and then, when his soul was required, it profited him nothing. So, greed is an extreme or inordinate, all consuming desire to accumulate wealth food, possessions, power, fame. It's an excessive desire for getting or having, a desire for more than one needs or deserves. You just and it, it's a funny thing the more you have the more you want there was a it's a uh, a humorous little thing about this celtic monk back in the middle ages and he's writing this thing down and he's starting out and he's saying all i want is a little cell just a little room in the forest where i can be alone to worship and serve god and maybe have a little garden that I can grow some food to, to feed a, a, a traveler. And maybe by a stream that has a little bit of fish. And it would be nice to have a little chapel with a window in it so I can, I can and, a, and a little table and, and a candlestick so I can read. And he goes on and on and on. And by the, day, by the time he's finished, he's a, a bishop with, with all of these people these 12 men that are there and all of that. And it's It's uh, kind of the way we are, isn't it? If I just had this, I would be happy. God, I would never ask you for anything else ever. And then you get that and, well, what else do I need? (laughs) Lord, if I could just get this. And that's the way we are. So the scripture cautions us about that kind of thing. It's a self-centered, unrelenting focus on accumulation of surplus goods with no thought, for anyone else it's a funny thing um, many people in third world country view America, all Americans in this way that's what they see um, that's what they see on television they watch Dallas and things like that and they think everybody has that kind of lifestyle and uh, unfortunately many of the tourists enforce that kind of thinking and uh, Isaiah says what happens is that there is a spiritual and moral confusion that takes place. We put good for evil and evil for good, uh, light for dark and dark for light, bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And it's a confusion of values and things and possessions and wealth or even fame Our good reputation becomes more important than people." more important than our relationship with God. More important, consumes more of our time, more, more of our energy, more of our resources than it does uh, looking to the Lord. So, Scripture also talks in terms of paradox. A paradox is a statement that is seemingly unbelievable or even contradictory or may be opposed to common sense, and yet, in fact, it's true. It just looks like it shouldn't be. (laughs) Some of the paradoxes that we have in Scripture, um, many of them come from the mouth of Jesus. For instance, he says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it that doesn't seem like it should be right. How can you keep your life if you lose it? And if you lose your life, how can you be keeping it at all? And yet, that's what he said. So I want us to look uh, <coughs> briefly here about uh, some of the people in Scripture here. have been talking a lot in different meetings about Abraham. And uh, Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, These are part of God's initial call to Abraham. And it's extremely important because this call and Abraham's response is going to echo down through thousands of years of history. And if you listen carefully, you will hear continuous echoes even to the present day. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So what does Abraham have to do in order for this blessing to be fulfilled in his life. What's he have to do? He has to, he has to obey. Indeed. He has to get up and leave. So, what he's leaving is everything that in their society and culture gave a person's life meaning and value and direction. It's the kind of thing um, that... That's the reason why uh, Socrates drank hemlock. (coughs) Committed suicide. Forced to by the state. But he had an option. All he had to do in order to escape execution that way was to leave and not come back. Get out of town. Don't come back. That's all he had to do. And he would have been free. Nobody would have bothered him. But in his society and culture, he could not conceive of life apart from his polis, from his city-state. His whole value and purpose for living was wrapped up in that place and the relationships there. And as far as he was concerned, life apart from that wasn't worth living and he would rather die, and he did. Many of us Look around at the things that are calling us or the things that are um, in our hearts and in our lives that we can't let go of, we're doing the same thing. Because through the blood of Christ, He offers us freedom and deliverance and salvation. And yet we're, we're grasping, hanging on to these things so much that I would rather die than let that go. And if we don't let that go, we will die something inside of us dies and it will be a progressive death until we die physically and um, so many people today are living a life of a walking death because um, there's no peace there's no, there's no purpose and meaning and direction there's no value um, and they don't know who they are or where they're going All of that's available. It's all there if they would let go. And here's the thing. This is the thing that seems to be such a paradox. In order to receive this blessing, we have to let go of who we are, even our very life. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Um, As you go through Abraham's life, this is a man that... um, the end of Joshua, he tells us that Abraham, our forefathers, including Abraham and Terah, worshipped other gods. These were idolaters. They lived in Babylonia. He was from Ur, Ur of the Chaldees. So it's a very highly advanced state, very sophisticated civilization for that day. Um, Lots of technology, lots of comforts, and God was telling him You've got to leave all of that behind if you want to fulfill the blessing. And the greatest part of this blessing was that through the process of doing this, he begins to know, begins to develop a living relationship with God, the only God who is really there. So, But in order to know that, he's got to let go of these things because they're a hindrance to him. And so, um, as we read through the life of Abraham... For the most part, we're looking at 25 years of his life. And during these 25 years, there's going to be about seven different occasions when God uh, reveals Himself to him and challenges him. And with the challenge, there's always a promise and a goal, a direction for him to go. And But in order to do that, there's a letting go of something that's important to him. Because Abraham, at the beginning of his life is like the man in Luke chapter 12. He's a very selfish, self-centered man. He's willing to um, take advantage of other people to their hurt as long as it profits him. And that's the kind of man that he was. Even to the point of um, putting Sarah in a compromising situation in order for his benefit because of his fears and because he gets blessed through that. And so He's willing to compromise his own wife in order to get what he wants. That's the kind of man Abraham is. By the time God is finished with him, by the time Abraham is making right choices as well as bad ones, by the time we get toward the end of his life, then he becomes what we know him as today. When you think of Abraham, you think of a man of great faith. That didn't come overnight. And that didn't come easily for Abraham. So, It's a a lifetime of walking um, sometimes failing sometimes uh, sinning and yet God not giving up on him like he does not give up on you or me and for that I am very very grateful he hasn't left us alone so the world talks about winners and losers Um, do you ever think about how important losers are? if there were no losers, there would be no winners. And sometimes, when we lose in the way that the world considers winning and losing, we are the ones who actually gain. So if you're in a sports athletic competition, and the person wins, or the team wins by cheating, and they're all excited they get all the fame they get all the notoriety they get all the wealth the publicity and they have won but they've cheated um, and the losers if they had the opportunity to cheat and win chose not to and they lost lost everything nobody remembered them and they looked at them there's a the loser who really won the ones with the acclaim and the trophies and the, and the wealth and the and all the other kind of stuff. Uh, those winners actually lost, didn't they? Because something dies inside integrity and who they are. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was, uh, Greg was out of town, so I was filling in at the detention center. I was talking with these guys and said, uh, did you ever disappoint yourself? And they said, yeah. Now, it's one thing to disappoint someone else. But when you disappoint yourself and you realize I'm less than what I should have been or could have been. Uh, and it's nobody's fault but mine. And that's a serious thing. So the way the world talks about winners and the way God looks at winners and losers are very different things. So we could go through the life of Abraham, we could see his, him there with Lot, the younger man, and because it's a patriarchal society, all the privilege, all the power, all the authorities on Abraham. And Lot gets whatever Abraham doesn't want. But Abraham says, no, I'm going to treat this younger man, my brother's son, I'm going to bring him up and treat him as an equal to me. Which means that Abraham is denying himself and laying aside his rights to benefit the other man. And so he says to Lot, there's too many of us We're both wealthy men. The land is not able to sustain us both. you got the hill country up here. you got the the beautiful lush plains down here. And you can choose, Lot, whichever one you do. Um, You go one way, I'll go the other. And you can choose what your future is going to be. And so Lot, in gratitude for the gracious offer that Abraham made to him, chose for himself. And took advantage of the gracious offer of Abraham. You can have the place up here where it's hard and it's difficult and you have to keep moving. I'm going to go down here where it's rich and lush and comfortable. Uh, You stupid old man, you gave it all away. Who won and who lost? With God. And in the end, who was rescuing who? So in the world's eyes, Abraham made a foolish decision. In God's eyes, it was the right one and it was valuable. And he was a better man because of it. You can go through scriptures as we go through and you're going to see this over and over and over again. Um, People like Jacob, um, what what a guy for God to choose. This guy was a thief and a liar, a manipulator. He was out for himself and no one else. And God changed him around. It took a while. God didn't give up on him. His family suffered the consequences of those decisions, and even when he got himself right, he still had to live with those consequences. And oftentimes that's true within our own lives. But God was working with him, and he was going to work with these the rest of his family as well. So there's hope. For us all. So in Matthew chapter sixteen, Jesus and the, and the disciples have um, are off by themselves, and they come to a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's a beautiful place. That's the headwaters of the Jordan River. It's a freshwater spring that gushes out of that and becomes eventually the Jordan River. It's quiet. It's beautiful. It's peaceful there. So they're kind of on a a little retreat. And Jesus is talking with them. And they're sitting around talking and, and relaxing. And Jesus says, Well, who do people say that I am? They came up with various ideas. Remember, this is where the Holy Spirit revealed to Peter, This is the Son of God. And he said that. And Jesus said, You are blessed because... This didn't come from your own mind, from your own thinking. You understand who I am because the Holy Spirit has revealed it to you. The only way any of us ever know anything, really, is because of God's grace and mercy. It's at that point, starting in verse 21 of Matthew 16, that Jesus begins to tell the disciples seriously. He must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. All Peter heard was killed. <laughs> That's all he heard. He didn't hear any of the rest. And so he gets Jesus. Now he's, he's doing this very gently. You know? Uh, Jesus is the rabbi. He's the teacher. Peter's the disciple. But he, He comes and he gets Jesus and he says, come over here a minute, let me talk. He comes over here and he says, we're not going to do it that way. You will not surely die. And Jesus says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Now later on, Paul's going to talk about that very thing in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. He says, Those who live according to the sinful nature, winners and losers, have their mind set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. And Paul goes on to say, you, however, writing to the church at Rome, are not controlled by the sinful nature anymore, but by the Spirit of Christ. So Jesus is challenging Peter now. Uh, you've got the winners and the losers all mixed up here Uh, it's not the grasping of life Uh, you grasp life you'll end up at the end of your life and turn around and you missed it and you'll say where did it go Uh, there was so much I wanted to do and so much I wanted to be and it's a sad thing to find a man at the end of his life looking back and he's saying "Um, where did it go and what was this all about So Jesus says to Peter, you don't have in mind the things of God but the things of men. So what's on our minds today? Things of God, things of men. Be more concerned about winning or about growing and developing. You can still grow and develop as winners as well. Uh, You know, you don't always have to lose, it's not that kind of deal but it's the kind of thing about where your priorities are and where your focus is, what's important to you, and how you deal with success and how you deal with failure because we all have both. So Peter says, No, Jesus, you don't have to die. And, Peter, and Jesus says, Wait a minute. It's worse than you think. <laughs> because Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, Peter, if you're going to walk with me he must deny himself take up his cross or her cross and follow me. So Jesus says it's more serious than that. He says not only am I going to die but if you're going to walk with me you will too. Or you can't come. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it whoever loses his life for me, notice he didn't say whoever loses his life. He says, if you lose it for the right reason, then you will find it. Because it's when we surrender and give all of our hopes and dreams and aspirations, all of our successes, all of our failures, when we give that to the Lord and put it in His hands, that's what Jesus meant when he told the, the Pharisees, if the Sun sets you free, you're going to be really free. So, do our possessions control us? Can you not live without them? Uh, working uh, seeing some of the refugees in Africa coming through. They have nothing but the clothes on their back, and they are tattered and worn and beaten. But they're free. They survived. They didn't die. Uh, There's hope and a future for them. And they can pick up their life and keep on going. And unencumbered. So when you have nothing, then the whole world is an opportunity. It's all there. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul, like the man in Luke chapter 12 or what can a man give in exchange for his soul for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what he was done so life is a gift he God entrusts that into our keeping he says here's your life what will you make of it it's a good question so we can look at our life and say, okay, what have we done with it? <laughs> what is it meant? Is it values that's going to last? Or is it just things that are going to be destroyed or forgotten or break eventually anyway? Paul in Philippians 3 understood what he was talking about. He says, If anyone, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee as for zeal persecuting the church as for legalistic righteousness faultless as for legalistic righteousness he took all the church rules and he took them off he did every one of them that he was supposed to do and he didn't do any of the ones he wasn't supposed to do so I'm alright Faultless. Paul says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him... And Paul says, I don't consider myself already to have been there. I don't consider myself to have arrived. But he says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so he says, the things of this world, they're there for our benefit and to be used for the glory of God and to make Him known to other people. That's what it's for. And it's okay to be comfortable and it's okay to have those things as long as they are in their proper polite place and they haven't become God to us. And so this thing about winners and losers... um, To lose what we can't keep is not a great loss. To gain what we can't lose, that's the the real value and meaning in our life, isn't it? Jesus offers us what we can't lose, but we have to let go of the things that we can in order to receive it. And that's the offer that He makes to us. Uh, It's a pretty good exchange program that He has. Our sin for his righteousness our bondage for his freedom our doubts for his faith our bitterness for his love our anxiety and fear for his peace that's what he's offering to exchange for us today we let go of the one in order to receive the other and that's made possible because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He's the one who makes that kind of an exchange possible. Let's pray. Father, we come to you with our brokenness, with our greed, with our self-centeredness, like the rich man in the parable. And when we talk with other people, the word that we use most often is I. Father, forgive us. Father, cleanse us. Purge us from ourself that we might see who you are. That we might see the riches that you offer us in Christ Jesus. The fulfillment and the, the fullness of knowing who you are. And in that knowledge, discovering who we are. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.